0: You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of amazing Black and Latina women in STEM. This season, in honor of Mother's Day, we are highlighting the powerful stories of Black and Latina mothers in STEM. Stay tuned each week for these roundtable conversations as we learn more about the inspirational and authentic experiences of Black and Latina moms, not only making it happen for their families, but for the entire STEM ecosystem. I'd like to uh, welcome you all to the final episode of season three of Technically Two Hundred. I am your host, Matt Stevenson, and I am joined today by a Technically Two Hundred veteran. We once again welcome Marla Britt Fields. She is technical program manager at Nova Measuring S- Instruments. Excuse me, and. Uh, Viene uh, Garcia Osorio. She is a senior program manager at Whisk Aero. Ladies, welcome.
1: Hello. <laughs> Thank you for it's, having us, Matt.
0: Absolutely. And I hear you two are are really good friends.
2: We are. We go, we go. Uh, I guess way back, at least, the, <laughs> maybe not quite a full decade. Uh, we met at Applied Materials. I was in charge of the women's organization there, and Viane had started recently. We got hooked up as friends, um, confidants. We even ended up being cube mates for a while. It was
1: great. <laughs> it is true. It's all of those things, and and I think he has got us through. I uh, know four different companies, I think five different companies now. And yes. still are going strong, showing that, you know, females can be um, companions and good friends and good confidence um, all the way through the good and the bad.
0: That, that is absolutely correct. And I, I'd love to learn more about this. Uh, after giving you all a proper introduction, uh, you are both chemical engineers by trade. Uh, VNA, you have a PhD from Carnegie Mellon and you, uh, you currently work in the space of self Driving airplanes, and I know I've got a ton of questions for you about that. Um, but we are focused this season on black and Latina moms in STEM, and so I know that you're also a mom of two lovely daughters, seven and ten years old. Is that right? That is correct. Excellent, excellent. Congratulations to you and welcoming back Marla Britt Fields. You also have a degree in chemical engineering from MIT, just MIT. Just, just MIT, you know, little, little big Just a
2: bachelor's, though. Just yeah, a bachelor's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not nearly school in the school this unit. <laughs> little,
0: little, little school up north. Um, but you have spent the last uh, 20 years in STEM. You have a uh, one year, uh, excuse me, a four year old son. Um, uh, but you also are a caretaker for your mother, which also takes up quite a bit of your time, correct?
2: Yes. Excellent. Yeah. She is uh, a vibrant, uh exciting 78 <laughs> we have some health issues but uh she's still she's still out there doing it <laughs> yeah no- if,
0: I rem- <laughs> if, if I remember correctly she keeps you on your toes right she doesn't miss a beat oh
2: yes oh yes the other day uh my four-year-old asked everybody in the house how many bones they had broken um and mommy had to be like well I've broken one bone and daddy was like I've broken one bone Grammy how many bones have you broken like 10. Uh, (laughs) so, and, and I've been there for all of them. So
0: (laughs) now, now talk to, talk to us about what has, what brought you two together? Because you, you mentioned VNA that, um, it is absolutely possible for, For women to form bonds and work together. And I mean, I I think that there are probably some tropes out there that would speak otherwise, but tell us a little bit more about how you all have forged this friendship and what it's looked like, especially um, over these last couple of years of, of being moms.
1: So we became friends through, as Marla was mentioning, the Women's Working Group at Apply Materials. And I was just joining brand new to the company. And there wasn't, There's not that many females on the field to start off with, right? And on my business unit. And so somebody that I knew from my previous work connected me to the women's group. And I, you know, reached out and went to one of the meetings. And I think we became friends almost instantaneously. Like Marla was like, welcome. And she just made me feel so, you know, part of the group. Um, quickly, and very quickly, you know, we start training, you know, I start asking questions about the company and about, you know, the culture, et cetera, and, you know, it was born instantly, and we both were in different business units, and we were for about three years sharing, you know, stories, um, organizing events for the Women's Network, right, making it stronger, but also through that, I think discovering all the um you know all the other things that were part of who we are right being a mom he, she, her being a mom and a caretaker right uh, the struggle with our bosses the struggle with the work the struggle with you know how we perceive as 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 women but more importantly as you know latin and you know african american um for Marla. so it has taken, it has morphed in different ways but it started strong from the beginning and I feel like it's still strong now and we still text and chat and and confident and ask for advice really when we have some very deep questions and and when we're a crossroad which is interesting because reaching out knowing that you have somebody that you can come to when you are at your highest but more importantly when you're at a bottom it's so important, and I know that Marla. It's one of my pillars. It's one of the people that when I'm, you know, at the lowest, saying, "Hey, I'm. I think I'm going to leave this work because this and that and that. What you think I should do?" And I know that it has been reciprocal, right? I know that when she has some some issues there, I I've been there for her, and I'll be there, you know, for a long time from now.
2: Yeah. In fact, uh, when we were sharing a queue, right when I left Applied back in 2018, we actually interviewed for the same company at the same time for the same position um, without any of our other coworkers at the time knowing. <laughs> we were sitting in the same cube um, and interviewing uh, with another company. And, you know, we even talked about it with each other. And we were like, okay, Hey, did you get this call? Have you talked, what did you learn about it? What did I learn about it? Um, we talked about whether or not we were okay with each of us getting it. And we were like, yeah, we're like, we want one of us to to move up and forward and, you know, <laughs> get get this opportunity. Um, so let's just keep going. Both of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I don't think that many people, that many friendships, can go through that, um, you know, without and still being friends and being open about, you know, at that point we had to share, like at some point in time we share salaries and, you know, offers and things like that because you wanted to be fair for each other, right? And you want to divert the best person to win. And at the end, Marla got it and I didn't. And I was fine with that because <laughs> I I think I was I was happy that it was her opportunity and it was, you know, something that she she deserved. And I know that if I had to, you know, give away and this to somebody, so to speak, I'd rather be Marla than anybody else. I know that she's capable. I know that she's a great program manager. I know how strong she is. So I was super happy, right? But no many people I think it requires maturity on both ways. And I think that's that's how you can define our relationship, really.
0: Well, so it's it's great to hear that you two had each other, but I'm I'm wondering as you know you have have both been in the space for for a while now and there's this uptick of or of of I'm not going to say uptick of support but rather uptick around the conversation about having support for for women and for minoritized populations particularly within stem industries but i mean that's that's taken time to even get where we are and we still have a long way to go. So what has that support looked like for each of you within the space? And, and what have you learned about what companies and employers can do to truly support, um, those who are not in the, the majority?
2: Well, since I, uh, did interview and change jobs during this time (laughs) of awareness, I can say that I, I think it did help me in that regard. I think that the people were, um, when I was interviewing more aware, um, of, you know, trying to increase their diversity in their companies, particularly for technical women, uh, in their companies. Um, so, in that regards, maybe it helps me to get that first interview, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot to it to getting to the next interviews after that. (laughs) Um, one of the things that I can say, especially since I've moved between companies during COVID during the the height of all this uh, increased awareness for, for, uh, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, the company that I ended up choosing, so I had, I had some options and some opportunities at the time when I left, uh, applied uh, back here in the beginning of the year. Um, the companies that I was really interested in and was going to were the companies that were really open, were really honest about the job opportunity. Um, I liked companies that were a little, let's say a little more flat, um, not as much hierarchy. Um, I find that that is very helpful with being very um, clear and concise. Um, And that's very helpful for women and minorities to understand where they stand, um, is to not have a lot of random layers or confusing layers and and, um, to how things get done or how decisions get made, right? (laughs) Because that happens in sometimes when you're in really big companies, right? you're like, wait, I don't understand how come I don't get a promotion, but somebody else does. And there were so many things that went into it that you have no say or you don't see. Um, whereas in companies that are a lot more transparent, you don't feel that way. So that's been very helpful.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with Milo. I think transparency—it's one of the big things that helps with diversity because um, I think when you start playing politics you never know when you stand, right? Either way, diverse or not, you don't know where you stand. But I think in diversity and specifically women, we do very poorly in highly politicized environments, right? Uh, At least I know that I do. So even though I I kind of learned how to navigate it through different companies, I'd rather not, right? And I'd rather say, if you're telling me it's great because of these reasons and, and you're transparent about it and I understand that. Then we're all good, right? Then I don't have to go and Marla says try to find out the backstory or you know whose whose game is it really and what is this decision really coming from? You're telling me one thing, but it feels like it's another, right? And and I think for for minorities and for women specifically that never plays, I I have never met anybody that plays well in those environments, right? With either of those characteristics, so. I think for me it's 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 the same way
2: and as a mom it adds a layer of stress that I don't need <laughs> I got a lot of other things going on I don't need to worry about
1: the politics it's a yeah it's a level of stress that I I'd rather not deal with if I don't have to and and yeah I, I agree with Marla that's that's where I am now in, in the company that I am and and uh, and the balance, right? I think another very important thing is it's it's the balance. I I don't I'm not so sure about it, you know. In in due to diversity, but for a mom, and I think for a parent in general, right? Whether it's a it's a mom or or a dad or a single dad, right? This balance of having to give you the space to certain days, you know, take a call, picking up your kid, right, and your kid's being on the background noise and. People laughing at it and being okay with that. Um, I think that is the type of company that I that I thrive when you are who you are with the entire package, right? Latina mom, you know, engineer, program manager, right? All in one because at the end of the day, we can't. Especially now, COVID has shows, right? We can't separate too much our personal life from our, you know, professional life because it's all one. Big blob, if, if anything shows, right? We're seeing in people's houses, right? In people's kitchens, right? Doors being rung, right? Pets barking, cats jumping into the coals, right? Kids coming and asking you for, for a snack. I mean, I've seen so much of that, um, that uh, to me that it it showed me really that, that I wanted to be in a company who I, I could be, who I needed to be and I didn't have to give any justifications find any backstories any politics right that's it to to me that 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 marks the the my final decision
0: that's that's great to hear and and so you know um one other thing that one there's one other thing that comes to mind when you talk about um the 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 characteristics of an organization that that attract you um and I wonder about management. And I I think back to the roles that I've had. I've had probably about six jobs in my career. And the ones that I learned the most were the ones where managers had the grace and patience to be teachers. Um, and, and I think it's interesting be, because... I do I do I do have a question, but I want to preface this because I do think that there are people out there who would say and have said, well, you know, pick up a book, like figure it out. It's like, no, 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 <laughs> Like there there are certain things that have already been learned. And whether we're talking about efficiency, whether we're talking about access, it actually takes somebody to teach you. Um, and when you have a manager who. Um, Will take the time and has that orientation it has a tremendous impact on you as a professional, but also your work product. And I'd love to hear about the role that that managers have played in your respective trajectories, and and also the decisions that you've made because you you've all sort of made transitions to different roles and and organizations.
2: I, I can start, um, and, and this. Maybe a a repeat from kind of my part of my conversation that we've had before, Matt. Uh, (laughs) But I have my theory on the shovel shit boss, which is the boss that um, you would work for and you would do anything for, even if they called you up and asked you to come do some horrible job where you don't have any visibility and it's going to be really repetitious. It's not going to be necessarily a fun job, but you would go do it for them because they're such an amazing boss. I have been lucky enough to have at least three of those bosses in my life. Um, I almost got to work for one of them again when I was (laughs) making this last move. I was interviewing with her to go work for her again. Um, I didn't end up getting it in the end, but I was ready. I was like, it it doesn't matter if they come back and say they want me like that's where I'm going because (laughs) I want to be with Lynette every time, anytime she needs me. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I have made decisions on who I want to interview with on companies that I want to interview with based on who the management is. I have made decisions to stay at a company in a role. because the boss was so amazing and it can be not just the idea that they're willing to teach you and to be really open um, to teach you whatever it is that you need to learn, but it can also be that they are so flexible and there's so much trust. Trust is huge with your manager. And sometimes when you've got that trust built up, um, you don't want to go somewhere else and, and, and have to build it somewhere else. You,
1: you stick with that manager. I think empowerment for me has been one of the big things that, you know, good managers have taught me, right? Not only how to go the ropes, but empower you to learn and to learn from your, and let you have the space to learn by making, by doing mistakes, right? If after three months you had not made a mistake, then I know that you were not doing your job, right? Because your job, it's, you will learn from this job more than anything else, and I want you to know the mistakes and yes, let's go and correct it. Right. And then every time I've been somebody's manager, I also remember that. Right. So when they make the mistakes, I also tell them, don't worry about it. I'm here for you. You, you need to have that space and, and, and make mistakes and learn from them. And I'll be here for you all the time. And I think that's what a good manager has taught me besides the trust that, that Marla was talking about is this, um, empowered, to make mistakes to learn from them. And then once you are mature enough, right? To let you go and 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 grow, and you know, they'll be there for you, but they will empower you to go and look for what you want and what you want to do. Um, that that to me it's what what a good manager in my career has looked like.
2: Now we can also go the other direction. <laughs> you can talk about what some of the not so good ones. I mean, I've had I've had managers that have told me to go into a room. And uh, yell and pound on a desk and scream at these people and swear at them to get it done. And I just want I'm just like, as a black woman, i'm I, I can't do that. Like <laughs> um, even if they did it this time to get it done, you're leading me down a road where we can't get anything done without me yelling and screaming. Um, you're you're hurting relationships by doing that. Um, and as a Black woman, it means that I get typecast. I get put in a certain role. You're the angry Black girl, you know, <laughs> what have you. Uh, and I don't think that uh, when they come to me and they tell me to do those things, that they see it from my point of view or what it would look like for someone who looks like me to walk in a room and do the things that they do.
1: Yeah, it's true, right? They put you in an awkward position of telling you what you need to do and how you need to do it. And I have always thought, fall back on that. ad boss treading me, right? Taking me to a room and make threads. Um, I, I, I had my first year of uh, bosses. Um, but um, but I learned even from that, right? You learn that when you're in that position to never lose it like that. And I also make mistakes as boss, right? One time I yelled at at, at my team, and I will never forget this guy said to me today, you came, I had you in a really high pedestal and to game today, you came below that pedestal. And I thought, oh my God really. And, and in anything, not because of the pedestal, right. But because the damage that you might be creating to somebody by doing that. And so I did it once I learned from my mistake and I appreciated these guys comment all the time because every, every time, you know, I feel like I am getting there. I always breathe and be like, no, I can never get there. Right. I got there once and now I'm going to stop before I get there. So I think I learned from bad bosses, but I also learned from my own mistakes as being a bad quote unquote boss, even if it was for the one time, right?
2: Yeah, and you're right. it It leaves a mark, and it can you never know who what they're going to take away from that and who else they may use that against, right? It, you may not be the last woman of color that they have to work with or for. And now, you have created uh, an issue for them. Yeah, you're creating
1: a bias now for them, right? You, you are now creating a new bias that they will carry through and they, but these bias might be passed on to others that they interact with. And that—that that is what that comment to me was was so eye-opening and I i will never do it, not even being a boss, but not even a product manager, not being an individual contributor, never, never to lose it because you're right, that is creating a bias for many of us, right? Women, Latins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, color. It's mm-hmm. it, it goes in many ways. And so I think in a way to to go back to one of your first questions, right, Matt, it's it's the image that that we so many things that we're carrying with um in in our day-to-day lives that we have to be aware of. And, and you do because you don't want to create these for other generations and other people like us.
0: So I'm 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 hearing how former managers have impacted how you manage and interact with other professionals. How have your children impacted how you engage with other professionals and how you conduct yourselves in the workplace?
1: Oh, my kids had changed the way that I see this world so much. And I think they will be surprised to hear this. So Deon and Kensi, if you're hearing this, you have, right? It's um I see these worlds through, I had my own vision of of who I was and, and what I was good at and 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 that, right? But being a mom had told me so many things, had told me that there's struggle with things that you do every day, that I, I got it for granted, right? Like struggling, learning how to read or write or read, learning something new, right? I always thought I, that's a challenge, right? And I I never got frustrated. Now I know what that frustration looks like and it's not pretty. And so every time now I talk to somebody and I'm explaining something that I could I could totally see now the reaction through how my kids react, right? And knowing that they're going to go there, right? They're adults, but they're going to the part of like, of course they don't scream and cry like, mommy, I don't want to do this and I don't get it. I don't get it. But I can see in their eyes that I don't get it too. And so now I I step back and I'm like, okay, what is it that, you know, what I'm saying, it's not, you know, setting out with you. How can I help you? Should we divide it in smaller chunks? Right? Like, how can I make it more digestive to you? And before that, I I could, I don't think I understood that frustration well enough. I, I can tell you that one thing. The other thing that I can tell you is that um, I, I also now understand what it feels like to sometimes, you know, somebody snaps at something and it might be because they they have a sick child, right? They have, might have a sick spouse. They might have, you know, a fight with one of their kids. They might be going through a lot of these emotions, right? And, and, and struggles personally that before that, I could tell you, well, a sick kid, like, yeah, it's just fever. And right before you're a mom, you're like, it's fever. You just take it to the doctor. What's the big deal? Right. But until you're there and you're like, I'll do anything to make you feel good. Right. I'll, I'll, whatever it needs to do. I, I prefer to get sick that you get sick. I, I understand that so much better. But I think the frustration is one of those. The learning, right. One of my girls struggles with school and, and learning. And so I had had very, Having conversations with engineers and telling me like, "Yeah, I have dyslexia." Like I didn't know until I was thirty-four years old. And like I see the the world and the the documents a lot more different than you do, right? And I know I don't think people will open it up to me that way. And I would have had these deeper, more deeper conversations if if it weren't because. I'm open about the other thing that I learned is that being completely open about talking to my kids for the good or the bad. Right. And so I think that that has opened up conversations in a different level and connections in a different level with people. Certainly. It has also taken me to therapy. If we want to be open about that for all the moms out there, don't feel bad. I went to therapy because my oldest one, when she started competing in gymnastics, I started seeing it as a when she started not getting, you know, the first competition and she didn't get like, you know, nines and eights, and it was more like the sevens and seven and a half and maybe eights, but no more than that. I saw it as a failure between me and her as, you know, Dylan and VNA, you know, Dylan the girl and VNA the mom, right? And the daughter. And I thought that it was a failure in our relationship. So I had to learn how to deal with not being successful. Um, it, what I thought it was success, right? Of course, then I you know, got to see that she's only, and she was six when she started competing in gymnastics. Um, But, so you can imagine the perspective, the skewed perspective that I had as an adult, right? Like what the expectation of a six-year-old competing in gymnastics? Like, I don't know what I was thinking, but clearly those emotions get you wrapped around, right? Because I always been driven and I always been wanting to excel in what I do. And so seeing that, I was like, this is a failure, hey, I learned to, to enjoy it and I learned to learn that I could never do that. First of all, <laughs> I'm the clumsiest person ever. Um. Second of all, you are in front of a hundred people. You're a six year old, you fell out of the beam and you come back and you finish your routine. Geez, there's, there's people that don't finish their work on daily basis and there you are in front of everybody. So I, I learned to respect my, my girl on a completely different level. Um, that I wanted to do, but that's what it took, right? It took me therapy. It took me recognizing that I had a problem, that I was like yelling and screaming at these meets. And th- so after the second meet, I told my husband, I can't go until I solve my own problem because I don't want to skew her and make it feel you know, bad about what she's doing because it's not her fault. It is my fault. She's doing the best and I get that. So I have to you know, recuse myself of doing it and i moving on. So uh, yeah. Sorry for the long answer, but I'm, I'm very passionate about what what um, what my kids have told me um, in this process. And and it's true what they said. Right. I learned more about being a mom that I have learned about any other thing that I've done in my life. And that is pretty I'm pretty sure that that will be true um, for the rest of their lives and mine. And, you know, we're only Starting right ten and seven, I still have lots of way to go. So I'm sure that there will be a lot more therapy sessions and moments of uh, frustration on both sides. But um, I'm looking forward to it because I'm, I think I've become a better person. I've become a better program manager and a better mom because of them.
2: I too have uh, done some therapy uh, between the caretaking and the, the of both my mom and my my son. Um, putting me in that kind of oreo generation that middle middle generation where you're providing care for for older and for younger at the same time um i have i too have have done therapy had to deal with my own issues my own problems around that uh, be it not having enough time for myself which is a constant struggle for all moms everywhere, but once you're Oreo generation, you get pulled in both directions. Uh, it becomes even even deeper. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I would recommend it to
1: anyone who needs it. <laughs> I second that. It's it's, and I mean it's not recognition of any weakness. It's actually to make you better. You, you feel so much better and you become a better person because of it, but I know there's a stigma associated with it. And that's what I always, every time I get a soapbox that I can say that I will, because I think it is important to recognize, um, that it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly normal and it will make you better. You'll feel better It'll, emotionally and you'll grow and nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nothing wrong with Maybe. a little therapy. It improves. It improves your relationships with everybody else around. It you. does. It really does. It really it does. does. It really does with your spouse, at work, right, and obviously with your kids. Or in the case of Malala, with her her mom, right?
0: What you know, you all have had very successful experiences, and you know if. You know, there's no way that you can boil it down to one thing or, well, let me not speak for you. I would assume that you wouldn't boil it down to one thing. But what would you say? What would you attribute much of this success to?
1: That's a super interesting question. I think it's never giving up. Like no matter how hard the problem is, it's always try your best. Be kind. Uh, with yourself or with others right and keep the tomorrow there'll be tomorrow right so you can get, give it another try tomorrow um i think that's what it is right i i that's a philosophy that i go by in everything that i do and as a philosophy talking about my children that I, my girls that i tell them every morning right um own your story right on who you are how you do it why you did it, if you make a mistake, own it, right? Say, yeah, it's me, this is why I did it, I'll learn from it and I'll move on. And then you try your best the next day and you do the same thing and do it do it kindly, right? Doing it with, and if you make a mistake, do apologize, right? If you do hurt somebody and then later on and now you're thinking, oh man, I, I, I shouldn't say that, right? Then the next morning go and say, hey, you know what? Yesterday I, I think I came out of place because of this or that, right? I apologize. I think it's it's it, it, it gives you a greater intake in life. And if anything, it will make you feel better as a person that you were able to say that. Right. And I think in the other hand, I never heard anybody that tells me like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I don't think so. Right. And even if they think so, hey, you're a better person because of it. Right. At least not, it's not on you and whatever they do with it, it's it's whatever the person wants to do with it. But in general, people are very kind and never never call a grudge. Hopefully if there's anybody out there, don't call a (laughs) grudge. I'm sure that I did it with intent, but uh, I think that's what I will say for me. Um, and I, for me, I would say
2: to attribute my success, um, it's, it might be a little cliche, but it is one of my dad's sayings that he said was, uh, you're going to have to be twice as good as everyone else to be considered half as half as good. Right. Um, and so going into the world, that was the talk that I had from my dad. Um, and so I kind of took it to heart and I believe that that is the way I have to be in the world. And I just have to be twice as good.
0: Sounds familiar. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds and feels familiar for sure. Um, well, um I'm gonna end with three questions for both of you ladies. Um and and yes, that's right. They're back. So uh so <laughs> but I, I I like to keep it spicy. So uh you're not gonna get the same ones. So here we go. Question number one. Your favorite dish, favorite dish that is made for you, not that you're making for someone else, favorite dish that's been made for you.
2: I love poke bowls. (laughs) In fact, today's my birthday. And so that's what I got to have for lunch. (laughs) I had to choose whatever I wanted. And I had poke
1: bowls for lunch. (laughs) I have to say that chilaquiles, my husband made for me for Mother's Day this year, because Bright color, we haven't been able to go anywhere. Normally, I get my fix when we go on vacation in Mexico and then I eat Chilaquilas for breakfast every day for a week. And then I'm like, I'm good for the year. This year, we haven't gone anywhere. So for Mother's Day, he made me chilaquiles, and they were a killer. So Chilaquilas for me. Man,
0: your favorite 90s song on repeat.
2: Uh, right now, I would say, I think, it's, I don't know if it's 90s, uh, Golden by Jill Scott.
0: It's definitely not 90s, but I, w- I will allow
1: oh, it. Right. All right, That's the one it's, that's on repeat it's, right it's now. It's your
0: birthday and it's a good song.
1: <laughs> you know what? Any of Alanis Morris' songs. Yeah, I think done. Ironic is probably the one that is is keeping it on my head right now. Yeah, Ironic. That's it.
0: And last but not least, your favorite memory with your kids or kid
2: um mine is probably one that we have every morning so i get him up in the mornings um and so uh he will be asleep and when i cuddle into the bed with him and i give him kisses and i tell him good morning and i love him and that's the way we wake up in the morning
1: i have one for each of my kids so for my little one it's um Every time she gets super frustrated or she like loses it and can't like get a hold of it again, um, I had this um, song in Spanish that I, her nickname in Spanish is um, Little Cotton Ball. I don't know why when she was born I saw her and I thought of a cotton ball. I don't know why. So I, I call her my little cotton ball in Spanish. And so when she loses it, I call her that and I like rock her back some forwards. And we have this song, and so I I I sing it, and always it says it's little cotton ball like over and over again, right? And at the end, I ask her, "What's your name?" And she always says, "Polita de algodón," and so oh. which is little cotton ball. And I I think that's one of my favorite things that I do with her. That even until this day, sometimes sometimes she comes from they go to a distance learning during COVID, so she comes from there and she opens my office and she said, "Just call me little cotton ball." And so like little cut the ball and then I hook her and then she goes and runs. Um, I think that's it. And then for my oldest one, um, she um, she has to have routines right every night. Uh, so when we were little, we used to sing like all of these repertoire songs like Ski the Marinka Dune and um, Little um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star every night. And uh, oh, my God, if that songs were not there, didn't matter. What happened, you had to have some sing those songs every night. And uh and I think that I have that that memory embedded in my head of me singing to her every night. Um that I think is one of my two favorite songs. songs moments, memories with my kids.
0: I love that. There and they'll remember that always. Well, I'm hoping. Yeah, no, absolutely. I my my mom used to sing she used to wake me up with this song um called mother duck and uh she she sang it to me every morning until i don't even know how old i was maybe like six or seven and uh i remember i still remember it and uh i tried to sing it to my kids they're not having it so
1: Maybe, maybe i needed to change it up father i was gonna say that find a new song that's what he tells you find the song for your audience
0: yeah. yeah they 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 don't um i i was the only hugger in my family growing up and uh i try to hug these kids they're not having it they're like he's like you're the, the the beard you know i have to shave every day if i want to hug in this house but um you know hey we'll get there one day ladies it was such a pleasure speaking to you both and and learning more about your your experiences and just how much you've accomplished i know that we're our audience is going to walk away with so much so so thank you for making the time this evening so thank you thanks again for listening to today's technically 200 episode don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com.